hello, and welcome to the Am I a Bad Mom podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Ritz-King. I'm a trauma therapist and a maternal mental health specialist, and perhaps most importantly, a mom of three. I've met many incredible women over the years in the various careers that I've had, and seemingly no matter where they are along their motherhood journey, they are powerful, they are brave, they are incredibly successful in their lives, and no matter what, they all ask the same question at least one time. And that question is, am I a bad mom because fill in the blank? <laughs> there are any number of blanks to fill in there. And this podcast aims to provide you all the reasons why the answer to that question is unequivocally no. Every single time, the answer is no, you are not a bad mom. And we're here to show you today exactly why. So welcome. We can't wait to help you feel better about the parent that you are. Hello, and welcome to the segment of Am I a Bad Mom podcast. Today, we are going to address something that is being thrown around a lot in media, I think. The topic is burnout. And what's being thrown around in media a lot lately is mom burnout specifically, like how mothers are feeling just done <laughs> these days. And so I want to do this in a couple segments. I want to talk about what it, what is it? What is burnout? What does that actually mean? What are some things to look for to see if you're experiencing it and what to do about it if you think you are? So first of all, what is it? So the sort of definition of burnout is a complete <laughs> mental, physical, and emotional. So all three, mental, thoughts, cognitions, things like that, physical, and emotional exhaustion. I often use the word overwhelm because to me, overwhelm is like when something has taken over the system and there's no room for anything else. So, you know, some things to look for that, that are sort of part of the definition of this is like physically, that that physical part is like fatigue, you're getting sick a lot, probably you, maybe your appetite's changed, your sleep pattern has changed. You're either not getting enough or that's all you do is sleep from a mental and emotional perspective. Like you might be a little irritable or cynical, or suddenly you have a real pessimistic view of the world. You also might have zero motivation, even for things that used to bring you some joy. You also may not be feeling joy in things that used to bring you joy. A loss of interest in things that even used to interest you. Also detached, lonely, feeling like you're not really connected. Those are all part of, can be part of burnout. They're all sort of symptoms of it to be looking out for. They sound a lot like symptoms of depression. And so that's when when people come see me that's often what i'm trying to tease out is this a is this a, a depressing a depression diagnosis are these depressive symptoms or are these depressive symptoms that actually are a result of burnout from that complete mental physical and emotional exhaustion usually caused by more work. So if you think of like the scales of justice, like a balance beam or, or not a balance beam, a, a seesaw, you know, and you have one side is work and one side is support. We get overwhelmed. We experience burnout when that work side hits the ground and the support side is not heavy enough to balance it out. So again, some of this is within our control. And some of it isn't always within our control. The support sometimes isn't something we even can get if we ask for it. And the work is given to us, if you will. And we don't really have a choice one way or the other to get out of it. So what do you do? That doesn't really sound... <laughs> uh, well, also, let me back up a little bit. 
so that's that's what happens. It's it's the more work than support. Very simply put, this is a very simple explanation of burnout. There are books and research papers and all sorts of other things out there on it. I'm just giving you the sort of <laughs> quick and dirty version. And sometimes though, that burnout can be caused by not caused. There are some some factors at play, work, home, the amount of chores we have in both places, but also it could come from if we are perfectionists, if we feel like we have to be in control. And and that that has a bad connotation. You know, controlling has a bad connotation, but sometimes feeling the need to be control can be a oh, I even hate myself for saying this, but a trauma response. I hate, I hate using that because it's such a social media trope trauma response, but it can be that need for control can be our attempt at safety. You know, we may have learned along the way in our lives that if anybody else is in charge, we're not safe. And so we need to be control of everything. But that can lead to, as you might imagine, overwhelm because we feel like we need to be control of everything. We have a hard time letting go of anything giving over that control to anyone else that may be actually a supportive person or somebody who can help us. If you're a perfectionist, on top of all that, imagine. So you're a perfectionist who feels the need to control everything and has more work than you have support. Those are all factors that can contribute to it, including if you just sort of generally have a pessimistic outlook. Oftentimes you you get there quicker. And so you burnout can cause that pessimistic outlook. It can, it can reframe what you're doing, you know, your, your own sort of outlook on life to be a more pessimistic one. But if you kind of start out that way, if you're a glass half empty kind of person, then you're going to get to the burnout phase faster. The, the hardest thing to do, I think, is to not ignore it because I think we've been programmed from early days that we're just supposed to plug on through that, that strong people or tough people or, you know, fill in the blank type of people, they manage it, they suck it up, they get over it, they move through it. And so what I see a lot of times is on top of all of that overwhelm, that physical, emotional and and uh, mental overwhelm, there is shame <laughs> as well, because we somehow talk ourselves into thinking we're weak, or we're whiny, or we're whatever, for not being able to handle all of this stuff. There's something wrong with us that we're not able to handle all this stuff. So I was going to say here's step one, but I think step one really is not only acknowledging it, but but giving yourself the grace to recognize it's not a weakness of yours that got you here. It's not some thing in you that needs to be fixed or that you did wrong in order to get yourself here. It's you know, a million different factors, but they are not because of your character. (laughs) So that's step number one is when you recognize the signs of burnout, also recognizing you didn't do this to yourself, or you're not experiencing this because you're not strong enough to deal with what you've been given. That's just not fair to you. And so let's start with that. But then there are some things you can do And we're going to talk about this a little bit in another episode because I I want to address it a little bit differently. So we're going to talk about this in the next episode. So hang in there with me. But there are some things you can do to address burnout to hopefully help yourself heal from it and also prevent it in the future. We're going to talk about both of those things a little bit today. And the very first one is, let's say these aren't in any order. I'm going to name them in order, but it's really what works for you because asking for help (laughs) sounds obvious. And I also recognize it's not always an option 
in certain ways. So then the next thing I would going to say is the reframing piece might have to happen first before you ask for help. And by reframing, I mean a couple different things. One, you're going to want to kind of evaluate your life. So very often we get to the burnout phase because again, we're overwhelmed by the amount of things we have to do and the lack of support in doing them. And so one way to reframe is to look at all the things we have to do and ask ourselves why and do we have to? So reevaluating your own values and your own priorities to see, am I living my life aligned with those things? And again, this is all very privileged of a take. Some people don't, their values are feed my family. And so I'm going to do what I can do to feed my family. I get that. And I get, and I've been there and I understand in those days, I did not have an option to reevaluate my priorities. My priorities were feed my family at all costs. And how do I do that? I work my fingers to the bone and my husband works his fingers to the bone. Even then though, we had some things that we could do to keep ourselves from being completely burned out. And those can come about as as a result of reframing and reevaluating your priorities. So yes, my priorities were my family, but what did that need to look like? Did it need to look exactly as I thought or could things change a little bit so that my time with them was just as valuable as the money that I made to, you know, do the things or whatever. So reframing your your values, your priorities, what's important and what needs to be done is is an important part of healing from and helping to prevent future burnout. The obvious thing too, that's part of this that, you know, I have as my number three, but is sort of like the duh one of this list is, is rest. <laughs> and you might be thinking, well, you just told me that I don't have enough support to do the things that I need to do. So how do I rest? And that again, comes from the reframing piece. Because if you're realizing I have to place a higher value on taking care of myself or else it doesn't matter how hard I work or what I do. I'm eventually going to burn myself out to the point of not being able to do any of it. So how can I reestablish things in my life so that I'm getting the rest? And, you know, we talked about at the very beginning, one of the symptoms is your appetite and your sleep might change. So reprioritizing, getting sleep, getting that rest somehow, some way and, and rest I use that term differently than sleep because rest might just be like a shutting off while you lay on the couch with a kid or something that renews you. So it might be eating your lunch outside in the sunshine versus in the basement of the building or in, in the, at your cubicle or whatever. If you can get yourself to get some fresh air, that might be a more restful lunch 20 minutes than the 20 minutes that you're also doing something at your desk or in or or just even in a part of the building that is dark and dank and everything else. That comes from that reprioritizing of things. Because when you reprioritize and you reframe, you're able to see, well, what parts do I have some control over here? I can't quit my job and I can't give my kids back, <laughs> but maybe I can change the way I spend my 20 minute break or I can change what I do on weekends or on the evenings, or maybe this one job, the money that I'm actually making from it, it doesn't actually make enough of a difference for me to lose all my sleep. You know, really looking at the whole picture instead of like, this is the thing I'm doing and this is how I'm going to do it. Sort of looking at how it all fits together. 
can get you to a place where you go, okay, well, rest needs to be a priority, or at least renewing my energy needs to be a bit of a priority. So how can I make that happen? And can I ask anybody for help? You know, I know that was number one on here. And I, I acknowledge like, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Not only is it not easy to ask, but sometimes it's just not there. But there might be something, maybe a neighbor and you swap kids once a week so that they have yours and you have theirs and it's free and nobody, you know, and, and neither of you, you know, have, have any expectations on like, you just, you do what you need to do during that time. Or maybe you have a sister or a brother or somebody who can, you know, help with something at the house that you've been trying to do yourself or help with the apartment that you've been trying to do. Or maybe you have a partner whose hours are different than yours and they can spend time on the phone trying to get something resolved instead of you having to take time out of your day to do that and then pushing work farther into the evening. Again, it all comes with that reframe and that reprioritize of how do I get these things done and what is most important to me to get done. The other things are kind of this like, not esoteric, but but like a little bit more, I mean, a little concrete, but also a little bit more. Here's some, here's some nice things to be able to do that really do help heal and prevent burnout. And one is just movement. Again, I talked about going outside to eat your lunch rather than eating in a dark, dank basement. <laughs> like there's little things in life like that, that we may not even realize we're kind of doing to ourselves. I worked for a long time in a courthouse basement. My office was in the basement. And when I was in court, you know, with the judges and the, and the people, I was sitting oftentimes in a courthouse with no windows and, or I was with a different judge and I was in a courthouse with big, huge, you know, almost like, like 10 foot windows where sun would just pour in. And then there were other days where I spent a good deal of time in my office, which was literally the basement of this, you know, municipal building. So windowless, airless, gray walls, cinder block, like not great. <laughs> and a couple things happened through that year. One, I realized on the days that I got to be in court, even when it was raining on the days that I got to be in the courtroom with the windows, I, I liked, quote unquote, liked my job better. I was really, I laugh because I generalize it that way. Like, oh, today I had a really good day at work and nothing had been different except the the location of where I was. So it wasn't the job. I was putting it on the job, but really what it was, was did I get to see the sun? <laughs> did I know there was outside time? Oftentimes we'd eat our lunch at those desks in that basement and it would just be awful. Like you're, ugh, it was awful. But then other times I would, it was nice enough. I'd get out, I'd get out of the building for a few minutes and like just breathe some fresh air. And that was just enough, like those few minutes of fresh air every day was just enough to sort of keep the job from feeling completely overwhelming and sad. And so when I say your mood and your energy, like check your mood and your energy. So when I say movement, or when I say environment, or when I say those things, really what I'm talking about is, where are you feeling okay? Or where do you remember you used to feel okay? Or when do you remember you used to feel better than than other days? Again, if you have a cubicle job in a place with no windows, can you, you know, go outside and walk around the building three times at lunch and just give yourself some fresh air and some movement, some movement of your body? We all, I think, learned over anybody who has any kind of desk job learned over the lockdown during pandemic, like how much sitting <laughs> really wreaked havoc with our bodies because we weren't in an office. So we weren't even getting up to like talk to the person in the cubicle next to us or walking to the cafeteria for lunch. We went from like a little bit of movement in most cases to like just plop down in a chair in front of a computer for eight hours a day. And we all, our backs and our hips and everything else started to tell the tale of that. So are you getting enough 
renewing movement. Again, I recognize some of you have really physical jobs. And so you're like, don't tell me to move my body. I move it all day long. Okay, great. So then what you might need is how can I get five minutes where I'm sitting and doing nothing or where I'm sitting in a, you know, a cross-legged stretch or where I get to sit up straight. You know, if you're at a thing where you're hunched over or bent over, how can I take five minutes to put my legs up a wall or stand straight or, you know, put myself in mountain pose and, and keep everything sort of aligned for a few minutes a day. Whatever works to counteract the stuff you're doing during the day that overwhelms you, how can you fit that in? Whether it's movement or being outside versus inside or being inside where it's warm instead of outside in the freezing cold where you are all day, or can you bring hot tea or coffee with you to, to you know, in a thermos to work? Whatever you can do to protect your energy, which will then ultimately protect your mood. How can you fit that in? And then the other one is, how do you get to be you? (laughs) In all the research I was doing for this episode, one of the things that kept coming up was like, how do you nourish your creative side? And I know for some people that's like, what are you saying? (laughs) I'm not, A, I'm not creative. I used to think that about myself. I used to think like, I'm not creative. I don't draw or, or paint or sew or any of that stuff. Like that was my, in my brain that you were creative, quote unquote, if you were an artist, it never occurred to me that like I write to live and that takes creativity or even like creating a spreadsheet is, is creative for some people or rearranging furniture in the living room is creative for some people. Like nourishing your creativity doesn't have to mean like painting a mural. It means how do you nourish that part of you that is sort of free to do what makes it happy. For some of you, that might be like an accounting or a budget spreadsheet, (laughs) or, you know, for some it's, you know, taking pictures outside for some it's going for a run for some it's whatever it's, how do you nourish your inner kid, your inner play, your inner, you know, your inner self that, that feels most like themselves when they're doing this thing. It could just be listening to music, could be playing music, you know, whatever it is, how do you do that? How do you nourish that part of you? And that again, might also sound like, I have no idea. If you're in the middle of a season where you're feeling the burnout, these, even these steps might feel like more than you can handle. And in that case, I would say the very first thing you do is ask for help. Who in your life can give you five minutes? And if it's not a person you can ask, where can you go to find support? Can you go to the library in your town and just sit and read or ask someone to help you find a book? Because that might feel supportive to just have someone else help you with something. Can you listen to a podcast that makes you feel good? You know, can you laugh? Like, can you have some support around you that does one of those other things that helps you with rest, that helps you with renewal, that helps you reframe or that helps you move your body or find an energy source that that feeds you. If there aren't people, if you really don't think there are people in your life that can help and support you, then what can you find in your life that helps and supports you heal and rest and renew? Short term, those are short term. Long term, then how do you look at your current situation to reframe it and to build it back in such a way that those scales don't never tip quite this much anymore. 
And I'm not going to say never, because look, it's life. And sometimes we find ourselves in these cycles of, oh, no, here we go again. I feel like I'm completely overwhelmed. And in those cases, then you go away. Okay, let me step back. Let me remember what worked last time. Let me either replicate those same things or find ways to replicate the results in a different way that my life works now. You know, for instance, I moved away when my children were young from support. (laughs) My family And actually, at that time, my husband's family, like there were no grandparents around when I moved, there were no aunts, there were no uncles, there were no siblings in the immediate area. And I I found myself home alone with these three little kids and a husband that was commuting to work an hour and 20 minutes one way and at work way more hours. We could do a whole episode on his burnout at that time. But Uh, let's stick to this. We'll stick to what I know right now. But whatever, I was alone. I I no longer had the support that I used to have. And so I, at first, didn't think I could reach out. I was like, I don't know anybody. And I don't want to ask, you know, I don't want to ask of anybody else what I used to ask of my family, because that didn't seem fair. But what I found over time was, if I got out with the kids, if I, you know, walked to school to pick up the oldest with the younger two, well, then sort of inevitably people kind of flock to similar people. And so I met some moms that had kids the same age or my little ones when I was waiting for the big one would play with other little ones in front of the school. And then I would start talking to those moms. And while I didn't regain the sort of, you know, babysitting help and and f- support in my home that my family provided me when, when when I lived closer. What I did get was a, a support system of other parents that I could go over after school and not be alone with my kids. Like also my kids got some play playmates. And so I built a different kind of support system. And even though it didn't replace what I lost, it provided enough that I didn't feel as overwhelmed or as lonely and disconnected as I did when I first moved here and did and felt like I had no one or nothing in place to help me. It didn't it wasn't immediate and it didn't come from places that I thought it might and it did require from me some reevaluating of what's important to me. You know, how am I going to am I going to immediately go back to a a job like a full-time job or Am I going to figure out how to reprioritize so that we can live off this one and a half? I was doing some freelance stuff at the time, but like this limited salary, is that ultimately better than me going back to work and without the support of what I had before? Everybody's different and every situation's different. And we had just enough (laughs) to, if you've listened to any of these other podcasts or you've known any of my blogs, you know, it's not like my husband's job was super lucrative and we were, you know, living the high life. We were barely scraping by, but rather than try to solve that one problem only by going to a job that probably would have been actually worse than what we chose, we tried to figure out a way to reprioritize, find a different support system, ask for help where I could, or create opportunities where I had the help you know, baked in because we were part of a group or part of a club or part of something, make the connections. My personality is such that it would have been much easier for me to just stay home with my kids, meaning like never put myself out there, never talk to people, never ask for help, never try to make friends with anybody. It would have been much simpler and much easier. It is it is not easy for me to put myself out in the world and say, I'm vulnerable and I need help. It's not easy for any of us to do that. Let's be clear. But in those days, it was really embarrassing almost for me to admit, like, I don't know anybody. I don't know what I'm doing. My husband's never around. I have no 
I have no idea like how to get to the grocery store. Like I was a brand new person in a brand new town and I had to just share that. <laughs> and then I also had to share the fact that like, look, I used to work and now I don't work. And so I can't take the kids to this place with you because I don't have the money for that. And these were new friends. And I had to admit to them, like, look, this is who I am. And this is how things are for me. And I'd love to hang out, but I can only do it if it's in the backyard or at the park down the street, because that's free. And sure enough, over time, I found the people that that resonated with and then felt supported and connected. I won't say I didn't burn out in the process. Like I was pretty close. And like I said, my husband 100% did because he didn't, he, you know, he didn't have the same support and he had way more work than support. But we found our way out of it by doing those things, by asking for help or finding opportunities where we could ask for help because it didn't look the way it used to. And also doing a lot of reevaluating our own values and priorities and, and getting some kind of renewing rest. Even if that rest wasn't sleep, it was, you know, laying on the couch in the evening, watching movies with the kids, something where like our brains were shut off and we didn't have to do much other than sort of be present that was renewing and restful for us. So those steps all kept it from coming back. I won't, we both were overwhelmed. We both were burnt out. The move nearly broke us both. The new job nearly broke him. And we found our way out of that. Not so eloquently, (laughs) not so elegantly. It was a bit of a, you know, back and forth mess of, of trial and error, but it, we set ourselves up so that it would not happen again because we kept our sort of fingers in these things. We kept reevaluating our priorities and our values. When we started to feel that overwhelm again, we went back to the stuff we knew worked before to try to keep ourselves from, from getting sort of falling to the bottom of the pit again. So even if you're already there, even if you are at the level of complete mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion, it is not the end. You, you can come back from that. And then in the future, when you sense it coming down the pike again, because I wish I could tell you get rid of it forever, but I don't know that it ever is fully, you know, at least in this modern age of parenthood, I'm not sure it's ever not a risk. But when you feel yourself sort of heading down that direction again, you know what worked before and you know how to keep yourself from going all the way there, from having those skills tipped so entirely that your support is gone for the amount of work that you have. It might not be even but you can get them closer together. If you employ some of these things, if you keep support around, if you reframe your values and priorities, if you are looking for ways to move and to be in an environment that is good for your mood and your energy levels, if you're nourishing yourself in some way, even if it's small, and even if it's once a week, and if you're resting in a way that is renewing, that gives you back the energy at the end of the day. So you're not just burning an already burnt wick. You get to start fresh every day or fresher. (laughs) Let me be realistic. Okay. So that's burnout in a very, you know, what 25 minute explanation of how you can spot it and what you can do to kind of keep yourself away from it as much as possible or heal from it as much as possible. And we'll talk a little bit more next time about how you do that reprioritizing and reframing of your values and priorities, starting with asking yourself, what if you just didn't do some of these things? So stay tuned for that next time. And in the meantime, if you're feeling any of this stuff, I'll put some 
Uh, I'll put my website and contact information in the show notes. And then even if you're not in the, in the, you know, geographic area for my services, I can, we can schedule a 15 minute good fit call and I'll, I'll try to help you find somebody closer to you because everybody deserves to have that help. All right. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the me time segment. Hey listener. If you appreciate what you get here as far as support and camaraderie and feeling like you're not alone, then I think you should really check out the Women of Wonder community that I run. It is exactly that. (laughs) It is a community full of support and camaraderie and you are not aloneness. It is meant to replace the old fashioned Facebook groups that we used to love before it got so mean and snarky and Facebooky. It is a place where you can ask the questions you have, where you can share the joys and share the sorrows and expect a supportive response, non-judgmental response. We meet weekly via Zoom. So we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And there are other supports like newsletters and uh, message boards and all of the things that you can and want and need in your life to provide you that support and scaffolding to help do this job we call motherhood. Check it out on my website, wonderinkwellness.com. It's called the Women of Wonder Community. And you can sign up today and get two months free if you do a year subscription. If you have any questions, again, always send me an email, but I would love to see you inside. Hey, welcome back to the Me Time segment of Am I a Bad Mom podcast. So I just have one thing today because I've been watching it a lot. (laughs) So one of the ways, which if you've ever been on this podcast before, you know this about me, one of the ways that I get some rest and renewal is watching TV. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because oftentimes TV is like a mindless thing that you do, but it is not for me. (laughs) I find it to be really renewing because I love like story television And so one of the things I've been watching recently, again, my husband's, he's not been home a lot. He's been traveling a lot. So I've been able to watch whatever I want, which is lovely. We have this unwritten thing. I don't even know if either one of us sort of acknowledged it, but sit together in the evenings. We sit together, we watch TV. We pick something that we both like, which often means we don't watch something that we want. (laughs) 99% of the time he's falling asleep on the couch, but still it's sort of this unwritten thing that like, we're not going to like go to different rooms and watch shows. We're going to try to stay together for that because we already spend so much time apart anyway. This just feels like a a way for us to come back together at the end of the day. Anyway, that was way too much information (laughs) about this, but it is to show you like he's not big into British television. I am. I love, I love British crime dramas. It started a million years ago with the show Broadchurch sucked me in and I have been a sucker ever since for any kind of British crime drama. So I, a while ago, subscribed to BritBox, telling tales of myself. Yes, I 100% pay for the British television (laughs) uh, streaming service, but I'm pretty sure that you can find this show even just a regular Amazon I might be wrong. I hope I'm not wrong because you really need to go watch it. But it's called The Bay. There's a bunch of seasons. And actually, I've only finished two seasons. The third season, I believe, has a completely different cast from what it looks like. But it's there's not much to explain. It's a missing persons crime, you know, detective. Although they're not detectives, they're family liaisons. So they work with the... I don't know if this is true at all. I'm going to need some of my UK listeners to correct me on this. But the way that it seems in the show is that in the police department, or what we in America would call the police department, there's detectives. And then there's like teams of people that work on these murder slash missing person cases 
including these family liaisons that go into the home of the victim and liaise (laughs) between the police and the family. But, you know, because it's TV, they, they, they have a much more active role in the investigation than, and then maybe they're even supposed to on the, in the fictitious world, in the fictitious world. But they do. They they sort of like, you know, they get to know the family. They they ask certain questions. They report back. They do some investigating. They do some digging. The cool thing about this show, first of all, it opens with a really unbelievable twist. Like minute one to minute 10 of the very first episode, you're like, oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> so that's great. But also what's cool about it is that the sort of lead person, she is a family liaison officer. And while the storyline of the family is going on, meaning the, 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 the family of the murdered person, she has some drama going on with her own family. And so it's cool the way that sort of intertwines and maybe has something to do with each other, but you're not really sure. It's little, it's, if you've ever seen Broadchurch, there's a little reminiscent Broadchurchiness to it because of that. So that's probably why I sort of dug it from the beginning, but I also really like the, actors in it they're good like i mean they're always good but these are i really they they stuck out to me as really excellent actors so yeah it's called the bay it's i watched it through brickbox but i'm pretty sure you can find it on amazon uh and it's b-a-y not like (laughs) beyonce bay (laughs) it's like the bay like they live on the bay anyway that's all i got this week just you know to avoid some burnout by watching a little good british crime drama television let's try it It's worked for me so far. So I hope it works for you. All right. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'll see you back here. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you heard something today that made you feel better about your parenting and about yourself. Remember, if you have a moment, we would love a review. It helps more people to hear about us. If you like the episode, share it with your friends. And of course, subscribe so that you know when it's going to drop every single week. Thanks again. Until next time, keep asking those same questions and know that the answer to am I a bad mom is always no. 